What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John. And this week, we are back with episode 56, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC 236 pay-per-view going down this Saturday night in Atlanta, Georgia, headlined by Max Holloway versus Dustin Poirier 2. Towards the end of the program, we will also be recapping the UFC Philadelphia card and the TJ Dillashaw positive EPO test that was just revealed in the past couple days. That will go down after we analyze and predict all 13 fights going down this Saturday night in Atlanta, Georgia. The UFC is bringing hell of a pay-per-view to Atlanta. We got two interim title fights at the top of the card. We got great matchups from top to bottom, and I'm really looking forward to breaking down all these fights. So with that being said, we're going to start things off. In the Bantamweight division, we have Randy Costa, who is 4-0, taking on Brandon Davis, who is 9-6. Brandon Davis is dropping down in weight in this one first fight at the Bantamweight division. And looking over at the opening betting line for this one, we see Randy Costa, minus 135. Brandon Davis, minus 105. Right now, over on our affiliated sportsbook, five dimes, we see Brandon Davis, minus 165 to Costa at plus 145. So, a lot more action coming in on Brandon Davis's way. He actually opened up the slight underdog in this matchup, surprisingly. Uh, you know, I say surprisingly because Costa's only got four pro fights. You know, he's only been fighting professionally for about a year now. He trains at uh, Joe Lozon's camp up in Boston. Dude's got like three minutes worth of cage time. Like he's barely fought at all. He's just had a couple quick knockouts over some lower level competition in some uh, you know regional promotion called Cage Titans. You know the guy's records 0 and 4, 0 and 0, 5 and 9, 0 and 1. So he hasn't fought a single opponent with a winning record yet. So that's you know very very uh, worrisome. You know it's nothing against the guy himself. You know I'm sure he's a good fighter. It's just the promotions maybe was you know using him a little bit you know he sold tickets had a lot of fans there and they want to keep feeding them bums um so you know that's what they did but now he got the call up to the ufc surprisingly after four four quick easy easy uh knockouts but you know th- it's kind of frustrating to see all skill aside this dude has three minutes of cage time and there are hundreds probably thousands of fighters out there in the in the world right now professional mma fighters with more experience and with more skill than than this guy but he's in the ufc so regardless let's get down to what he does good he's got some nice head kicks you know he most of his wins are by head kick knockout pretty vicious as well he seems to pretty much wing punches on the feet doesn't have much footwork underneath them then he gets taken down when he's winging punches too um, you know, he can hit his own, you know, offensive takedowns if he needs to and, you know, use a little ground and pound. He did that in one of his fights. But, man, there's just so much unknown about Randy Costa. We haven't really seen him fight anybody good. We haven't seen him off his back. And, you know, that's that's going to be a, a reason enough not to bet on him for me. Uh, it just depends on if you're going to bet against him, uh, on which means you would place a wager on Brandon Davis, which I would not advise against either because Brandon Davis, you know, he's not really UFC caliber either. He has, you know, nine and six record. He's been really mediocre in the UFC so far. Real tall and long guy. I have no idea how this motherfucker is cutting down to 135 pounds. I mean, he's a he, he's almost six foot tall at featherweight, and now he's dropping down another 10 pounds. Man, that that's gonna he's gonna be a skeleton uh, at on the scales tomorrow. Yeah, five foot ten and uh, weighing 135 pounds. So that's not a good look, but. 
man, Brandon Davis just doesn't throw hard, you know, he, it just doesn't seem like he ever throws with ill intent, he just throws a jab out there, throws a, you know, leg kick, some head kicks every now and then, he's got good footwork and good movement, you know, he's, he's very, uh, you know, he's a very comfortable striker, but like I said, he just doesn't really seem like he wants to hurt his opponents, he never throws out, you know, uh, full power, it's just kind of, you know, touching you, you know, uh, he won the Austin Arnett fight. Austin Arnett's definitely his best win on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series. But that was that was a weird fight, you know. You know, Davis won that fight with his top position. You know, he won some rounds by getting top control and staying on top. But he didn't really hit any takedowns. You know, there was just a bunch of weird scrambles that ended up uh, ended up on the ground. And Davis took advantage and won that fight. But if they run that back, I really think that Austin Arnett would, uh, would beat Brandon Davis pretty heavily in this one. So... Um, that's just a hypothetical, though. In this matchup, Costa versus Davis, you know, I see Davis's experience being a little bit too much. I think Costa's just going to be a little too green in there. Maybe he has a chance of uh, catching Davis early in the first round with a big power shot, but if this one goes, I see it, uh, you know, going the distance. I see Brandon Davis just being the more active and, uh, you know, uh, technical striker in this one and winning a decision, maybe two rounds to one. So the pick's going to be Davis. In the next fight, we go to the women's strawweight division. We have Poliana Botello, who is 7-2, taking on Lauren Mueller, who is 5-1. The opening betting line for this one was Botello minus 165 to Mueller at plus 125. Over on five dimes right now, we are seeing Botello minus 170, Mueller plus 150. So uh, two-way action coming in on this fight. It's definitely a close matchup, and, you know, Getting right down to it, I think it's a dog or pass. I just th I don't think that you can trust uh, uh, Botello. You know, actually, both of these women, uh, you know, had pretty horrible last performances. You know, Botello um, looked really awkward in there against Calvillo. She got taken down, she got uh, held down, and she got choked out. And Laura Mueller uh, fought a really low-level opponent in Yanan Wu who was just kind of bouncing around the octagon, throwing crazy strikes, and then they end up on the ground, and all of a sudden, Wu throws up an armbar, and Mueller gets caught in it, you know. So that that was a really bad loss, uh, you know, a really low-level armbar that she got caught with. So, you know, it, it, look out for Botello's submission game in this one. Even though her submission game isn't that great, it's, you know, maybe purple belt level, uh, that that uh, armbar that Mueller got caught with was white belt level. So, you know, definitely look for a path to victory for Botello in this one via the ground game. But Mueller should be the much better striker. You know, Botello's got some nice kicks, but she's just awkward on the feet, man. She looks like hunched over, like she has like a, uh, uh, like a hunchback, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, she has a weird stance. You know, Mueller's got the much more uh, fluid boxing and movement. She actually moves her head a little bit. And, uh, you know, she has some good takedown defense, too. Train, training that alliance with a lot of good girls over there, uh, Angela Hill, and, uh, you know, a lot more than I'm not mentioning. I think uh, Katzengano, you know, so she's definitely going to have good training partners, uh, you know, people who can test her takedown defense, who can test her ground game, because I think that's really the only chance Botello has to win this fight. You know, maybe she can, you know, get her kicking game going, but I just don't think Botello is smooth enough and fluid enough on the feet to win a decision, um, you know, via straight striking. But I, this fight will end up on the ground, no doubt about it. You know, these both of the, neither of these women are great strikers, so it's, you know, it's, it's bound to go on the ground at some point. It's just, you know, hopefully Mueller's uh, defense is good enough to not get submitted. She should win this one via decision. And, you know, plus 150, I, I just, I think that that's great value on Mueller in this one. I think this one should be, you know, a, a pick of minus 120, minus 120. It's a 50-50 type of fight. So it's definitely a dog or pass and might even end up on Mueller myself uh, up upsettingly. But 
hey man, there, when, when there's value, there's value. And uh, speaking of value, in the next fight we got in the bantamweight division, Montel Jackson, who is seven and one, taking on Andre Sukumtat, who is thirteen and six. The opening betting line for this one was Montel Jackson as the plus two fifty underdog. Is that right? Is that right? Um, Andre Sukumtat is the minus three fifty favorite. I don't. I think that's off. I don't think that's a real line. Um, so we'll put that aside. The, where the line is at right now is Montel Jackson at minus five twenty five to Sukumtat at plus four fifteen. Insane live movement in this one. I know for a fact that Montel Jackson was at one point. You know, um, yeah, yeah, he was minus three fifty. So he uh, Montel Jackson opened as the minus three fifty favorite and has since been bet down to minus five twenty five. Uh, so de- there was a line there on best fight odds. I'm, I'm honestly shocked at this line movement. You know, Montel Jackson is one and one in the UFC, and he's now a minus 500 favorite against a guy who's not that bad in Sukumtad. You know, Sukumtad is, you know, he's notorious for that bonehead loss against uh, Sean O'Malley, where he he could have won the fight if he kept on the feet, but he took the fight to the ground. Of course, very memorable performance from in that one. And, uh, you know, he's he's fought some uh, some good competition in the UFC so far. He had a nice uh, bounce-back win over uh, Jonathan Martinez in his last fight. He knocked out Luke Sanders. He beat Alejandro Perez, but they got robbed on the scorecards, you know. So he's, he's definitely fought and beaten some good competition. So, you know, I think that Montel Jackson should be the favorite in this fight. But at minus 500, I think that is, that is honestly insane. And even though I think that Montel Jackson wins this fight, I, I have to put a bet on... Andre Sukumtad at these odds. It's just way, way too wide. You know what I'm saying? Like a half unit type bet. Not don't go crazy. You know, Andre Sukumtad I think has a chance to win this fight with his boxing. I think he's got uh the the better boxing of the two, but you know, uh Jackson mixes it up well. You know, he's real long, he's got huge hands, he's got a nice jab, he's got himself a nice kick as well. Uh, you know, his last performance, he picked up a really nice win over Brian Kelleher. He rocked Kelleher with an elbow in the clinch and then locked up a darts choke, uh, really quickly. But, you know, Jackson's only been, only been a pro for two years. You know, he's definitely still a little green, only eight fights for him. He doesn't seem like he like checks leg kicks at all much. Um, but you know, he's, he's, he's a solid boxer and he's got a good ground game as well. I don't think Sukumtat will take this fight to the ground. I think this, uh, you know, if anybody takes this fight to the ground, it will be Jackson. And I think he has a good chance at out grappling Sukumtat. I think that's where he has the most comfortable path to victory for Jackson is using that ground game. But if it's on the feet, I expect it to be a lot closer than, you know, a minus 500 plus 400 matchup. I think that Sukumtat has a, has a good chance at, you know, catching uh, Jackson with some punches and possibly even hurting Jackson. So despite Sukumtat's, you know, uh, bad IQ and despite he, he gets a little hit too much, he doesn't have great defense, um, you know, and uh, he, he's a little chinny as well, Sukumtat. I, I still think he has a decent shot to pull off the upset in this one. So, you know, I, I think Jackson should be the favorite, maybe minus 300 where the line opened up. That seems about accurate. But right now, minus 500, I think, is ludicrous for J- uh, Montel Jackson. I think Jackson gets his hand raised uh, via decision. But there's a, you know, there's clear value on Sukumtat at plus 415. Next fight is taking place in the welterweight division. We have Bilal Muhammad, who is 14-3, taking on Curtis Millinder, who is 17-4. The opening betting line for this one is Bilal Muhammad as the plus-135 underdog to Merlender at minus-175 favorite. Since then, the line has flipped. Over on 5 we see Muhammad 
minus 142 Millender at plus 120. So I uh, I agree with the line movement in this one. I, I think that, you know, it's it's hard to bet on Millender after his last performance. You know, it's so glaring that his ground game is his biggest weakness. And that fight was only five to six weeks ago, you know. So when you see a guy get taken down and submitted, uh, you know, as easily as Zaleski made it look, and Melender looked as uh, poor as he looked on the ground. You want to take a year off, you know, <laughs> go to some jujitsu seminars, get a you know a better jujitsu coach, you know, fix up that hole in your game, or else you're going to keep losing. All your opponents are going to watch tape on you. They're going to see that game plan, and they're going to go to that game plan again. So it's very it's very interesting that Melender has taken another fight on six weeks' notice. It almost assures that he hasn't addressed the issue of his ground game. So Blah Muhammad would be foolish not to try to exploit that ground game in this one. And he's got a good ground game as well, Muhammad. He's got good wrestling. He's, he's got solid top control. He actually got the better of the grappling exchanges against two really good grapplers in the UFC, Jordan Meehan and Randy Brown. I think Meehan's been a black belt for a while, and Randy Brown's a brown belt himself. And Muhammad got the better of the grappling exchanges in those. Took him down, held him down, you know. He's not really a submission type of guy, I'd say. I think he's more of a position type of guy. Uh, like, you know, win win rounds with the position and the top control. And then, you know, get the get your hand raised on the scorecards. But Melender's ground game is so bad that I think the Muhammad actually does have a good chance of getting a, a submission in this one. But, you know, where it comes, it comes down to is the striking exchanges on his feet you know i think melender will be the much better striker in this one even though muhammad's got solid striking you know he's got good boxing good kicks he's just not fast he's he's got very he's got good technique he's just melender is going to be so much quicker in there you know just like the fight muhammad's fight against jeff neal you know jeff neal they both were you know solid strikers but neal was just more accurate faster and more powerful and he you know he put a beating on blah muhammad in that fight Muhammad is is tough as shit because he he survived all those heavy punches from Jeff Neal, all those head kicks. You know Neal beat him bad, and Muhammad still stayed in there. So, you know I don't think that Melender has a good chance at knocking out Muhammad. I think that at Muhammad's chin is just iron, man. You know maybe it deteriorated after that last fight against Neal, but I don't think so, man. I think that Melender is gonna have to fight super smart if he wants to win this fight. He's gonna have to keep this fight at range. He's gonna have to not use too many. Kicks because the kicks are going to get caught and then he's going to get taken down. You know, Melender's gotten taken down by all of his opponents so far. Zaleski and, you know, the ghost of CR Badarazara and Thiago Alves. You know, he's gotten a Max Griffin. Max Griffin took him down and held him down for an entire round. You know, so if Muhammad is able to get a takedown in this one, I think that that's the round for him. He wins the round or he, or he taps him out. So, it, you know, Muhammad's takedown entries better be on point. You know, he better be setting up those takedowns with, with punches because that Melender's going to see those takedown uh, shots coming from a mile away. He knows that Muhammad's going to want to take this fight to the floor, and he's going to be prepared for that. So uh, if this fight stays on the feet, I think that Melender will be using his superior striking. He's got a great jab. He's got good kicks. He goes to the leg, the body, the head, spinning kicks. He's got good output and cardio, too. Uh, he's you know thrown heavy in the third round a couple of times in the UFC so far. Um, you know he he got taken down by Griffin and then he was able to win round two and three to the, the decision in that fight. He had a tough fight against CR Badarazara, but you know gutted it out in the third round to uh, win that uh, win that fight. So 
I, uh, I I like Melender's cardio. I like his output. It's just, man, this is a tough, tough fight. I think this is probably one of the closer matchups on the card. Mm, I, I honestly don't have a side I'm going to uh, uh, confidently go with. But I, according to the odds, I would say uh, it's in Melender's favor at plus 120. You know, I think that uh, it's, it's a dead pick em, you know, 50-50 type of fight. So if one guy's plus 120, I'd say the value's on him. But... If this fight goes to the floor, Muhammad wins. If it stays on the feet, Melinda wins. I'll just leave it at that, and we'll move it to the next fight, which will be in the Bantamweight division. We got Boston Salmon making his UFC debut at, at 6-1, taking on Khalid Taha, who is 12-2. We got Boston Salmon opening up as the minus-150 favorite in this one to Khalid Taha at plus-110. Right now, more money coming in over on five dimes at Boston Salmon at minus 140 to Taha at plus 120. So the much-awaited uh, debut of Boston Salmon is finally here. You know, he's a former amateur boxer, uh, you know, really high-level amateur boxer. He uh, came off the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, and uh, he had a lot of canceled fights uh, coming up to this one, but he's finally making his debut here against Khalil Taha, who's uh, you know, a very legit opponent. Um, well, so we'll start things off with uh, with Boston Salmon, I'd say. Um, Sam, like we said, uh, he's got a great amateur boxing background. I didn't even, I didn't know until I did a little more research. I, watching him fight, you really can't tell. He really has adapted his game to MMA well. You can tell he's got very solid boxing. He's got a really nice straight left hand. But you also can tell that he's taken his MMA tra training seriously and w really worked on getting becoming a well-rounded martial artist, and you can see that in his takedown defense. You know, he gets he gets uh, he's able to stuff some takedowns when he uh, when opponents shoot on him. But where he where he has trouble is where he gets when he gets stuck against the cage. You know, if he he can get put against the cage and he has trouble circling off. You know, some boxers are are comfortable you know sitting against the ropes it's uh you know l less of a um a threatening position in boxing because you can't hit that takedown but you know uh even if you're the better striker you get caught up against the cage you don't have anywhere to move backwards or anywhere to circle and then you're stuck against the cage and you get taken down so look for that uh look for Khalil Taha to take this fight to the ground you know we haven't really seen much ground game from Taha you know he did have a there was a bit of grappling in his fight with uh Nad Naramani um but he was actually losing the grappling exchanges to Naramani in that fight so um I, I think that he has since dropped down to uh, this fight yeah this fight is at Bantamweight that fight with uh Naramani was at Featherweight so he was definitely out uh undersized in that matchup he will definitely be a little more evenly matched here against Salmon it's a close fight you know I think I think Taha even uh Taha will make the the stand-up exchanges uh close even though Salmon should have the the boxing edge on paper I think the Taha's got uh some good jabs but uh, the jab seems to really be his only weapon. And, you know, when he got taken down against Naramani, he, he really did not have much hope off of his back. You know, he got held down and didn't look like he was trying to get back to his feet. It didn't look like he was trying to sweep or submit or anything like that. He looked like he was just uh, content with, you know, riding out the round and not losing the round or not getting finished. So that's definitely not something you want to see, um, you know, especially if you're relying on him to execute a grappling game plan in this fight so i honestly think that boston salmon uh, might be even a little more of a minus uh 140 favorite in this fight i think that uh you know it's just he he doesn't have this is ufc debut he has way less experience than taha taha is definitely i'd say the more uh 
I don't even know if I'd say he's the more well-rounded martial artist. Um, so, you know, that's why you see a little bit closer of a line in this one. But I think Taha should get this one done. And uh, looking forward to seeing the, the greatest name in MMA, Boston Salmon, make his UFC debut. So in the next fight, we got in the welterweight division, Max Griffin, who is 14-6, taking on Zalim Imadaev, who is 8-0. Looking at the opening betting line for this one, we see Max Griffin as the plus 165 underdog to uh, Emadayev at minus 215. Right now, the line is almost at a pick em. We see Griffin minus 105, Emadayev minus 115. So a ton of action coming in on Max Griffin's way, and rightfully so. You know, uh, Emadayev, although he's looked good in, in his uh, in his fights in uh, FNG, uh it's just he hasn't fought that great competition yet. You know, most of his wins are coming over guys with uh, without winning records. You know, he's only fought uh, three out of eight of opponents have had a winning record, and you know, not great winning records at at, at those. But he he's got real power in his hands, man. He's he's knocked some motherfuckers dead over there in uh, Fight Nights Global. He doesn't have much technique. It just seems like he wants to brawl. You know what I mean? He. Uh, he uh just he's not coming in there to fight technical he's just coming in to throw bombs so you know griffin has a has a good amount of uh experience with that you know he just came no i wouldn't say just but he has uh had that win over mike perry back in uh december of 2017 you know they got a kind of a similar style you know perry just wants to come in march forward and throw big bombs in that fight and you know, Griffin uh, really handled Mike Perry very well in that fight. He, uh, you know, started to it started to become a little more competitive in round three. You know, uh, Perry picked it up in round three. Might even won round three, but Griffin, you know, won round one comfortably. He dropped and almost finished Perry in round two. Ten eight in him that round, and then, like I said, he did let off the gas a little bit, and uh, I think lost round three to Perry, which is which is interesting because he almost had Perry out of there, and then Perry was still able to recover and then win that third round. So. Griffin's cardio is definitely his weakness, man. You know, he's like I mentioned in uh, earlier. We had went, uh, with that fight uh, against uh, Curtis Melender. You know, Max Griffin took him down a few times and then gassed out a- after the first round. wasn't able to go back to that takedown. Uh, wasn't able to have any more success and lost the fight uh, two rounds to one. So uh, Griffin's got r- real nice boxing, though. You know, he uh, he showed that was on full display in the. Uh, the Mike Perry fight, you know, he Mike Perry is, you know, now even though he is a wild type of striker, you know, Griffin, you wasn't wasn't scared of those bombs, wasn't scared of his, you know, haymakers. He just he moved his head well. He had great defense and he was counter punching really well in that fight. So look for him to do that same type of style fight in uh, in this one. I don't think that uh, he will try to take Imadiyev down. I think that uh, even though Griffin's got you know some decent wrestling, uh, I, I just think that uh, Imadiyev's wrestling is also pretty good. You know, we've seen him ground and pound some people. We've seen him t- uh, get top control on some people and hold them down. And you know, he's Russian, so I'm sure he's got some uh, some good wrestling credentials. So I don't think that Griffin will try to mess around with the grappling in this fight. I think that he will just be, uh, you know st- keep this fight on the feet. And, you know, look to counterpunch and play defense against Imadayev. And I think that he uh, has a great chance of winning this fight. You know, uh, Griffin's defense isn't perfect. But uh, I don't think that Imadayev's striking is technical enough to really, uh, you know, pierce the guard of, uh, of Griffin. You know, there's a chance Imadayev, you know, uh, maybe hurts Griffin with a punch or two in the first round. And maybe gets him out of there via uh, TKO in round one. But I don't give Imadayev much of a chance to win this one on the scorecards. 
even though you can't really rely on Griffin to win, win it on the scorecards because of that cardio issue, you know. So it's a close fight. Uh, I, I do give the slight edge to Griffin. I think he's, you know, he's fought and beaten the much, much better competition. He's been tested in the UFC against really good guys. And uh, I think that he will win this fight. You know, it's honestly, I think that there might be some value. If, if you got in on Griffin at plus 165, congratulations to you, man. That's one of the best lines all year. That'll be like a, a Sapabek Safarov type of line where this guy is, a, you know, a Russian guy like Naragamanu who is coming in undefeated, who coming in against, you know, uh, a guy who's had some ups and downs in the UFC so far like Griffin. And the uh, the Russian undefeated guy is the two to one favorite for some reason, even though he hasn't been tested against anybody good. So he's definitely going to get tested in this fight. And I think that he will lose that test. So I'm going to go with uh, Max Griffin to get the win. Um, let's go by second round tko in this one the next fight is taking place in the flyweight division we have wilson hayes who is 23 and 9 taking on alexandre pantoja who is 20 and 3 the opening betting line for this one was Pantoja at minus 245 to Hayes at plus 175. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes right now, we see Pantoja minus 152, Hayes at plus 130. So more action coming in. Wilson Hayes' way, the line margin is tightening up in this one. You know, I, I definitely agree with it. I think that where the line was set was just a little bit too high. Um, you know, Wilson Hayes is still, uh, still a pretty good fighter. You know, you saw that in his last fight against, um, Ben Nguyen, you know, obviously a, a, a much, um, lower level grappler than Hayes. He was easily able to out grapple that, uh, out grapple Nguyen in that fight. But, you know, uh, Wilson Hayes struggled against John Moraga, man, big time struggled against, uh, Wilson or uh, Henry Cejudo got knocked out in that fight. You know, it was just cleanly outstruck by uh, Suhudo in that fight. Um, so, you know, Hayes, I'd say he is declining a little bit, but he's still dangerous. You know, he's still got a, a great ground game. He can hit some good takedowns. He can, you know, take your back. And, uh, you know, Pantoja, is, I just think, is really improving. Uh, you know, we've seen him improve uh, fight to fight massively. Um, most uh, most notably against Brandon Marino, you know, he just showed his massive improvement in the striking in that fight. You know, we hadn't really seen him, uh, or in my opinion, we hadn't really seen him strike too effectively in the UFC up until that point. He was mostly just relying on his grappling. And his grappling, you know, it although it's it's good, it's just it, it's not elite enough to beat guys like Dustin Ortiz. You know, Dustin Ortiz was in some bad positions against Pantoja in that fight, had his back taken, but Pantoja was just not able to capitalize, and Ortiz was able to escape those positions and make the strikes count on the feet and win the win two rounds of that fight, and uh, Ortiz stole that fight from Pantoja. So. Um, Pantoja, you know, is definitely going to have to rely on his striking a little bit more in this fight. I think he will have the clear striking advantage against Wilson Hayes in this one. I think uh, Pantoja will be, you know, working that jab, throwing leg kicks. Not too many kicks, though, because he'll, Wilson Hayes is good at catching kicks. He, he, he'll catch the kick and he'll uh, he'll dump you on, on your head on that if you if he needs to. Uh, and he could he could easily take Pantoja's back in that one in this fight too. I think that you watch the Pantoja's fight against Brandon Marino. There was a, a situation in that fight where Marino briefly took Pantoja down and almost took uh, Pantoja's back. Now Marino didn't get that close to it, but if it was Wilson Hayes in that same position, I think Hayes would have taken his back and made it interesting in that one. So. 
Um, you know, and Pantoja's last fight, man, against uh, Oka Sasaki, just, you know, a very high-level grappler uh, in Sasaki, and Pantoja just ran through him like hot butter, um, like a knife through hot butter, uh, and got to choke himself. So, Pantoja, uh, you know, if this fight is on the goes to the floor, I think it will end up there at some point. It's going to be a, a absolute pleasure to watch. Both these guys have great grappling, great scrambles. Both have a submission threat. Both can hit offensive takedowns. Both can stuff takedowns. It's going to be a real pleasure to, to, to see this one go. Um, you know, one uh, one thing about that might make this fight interesting is I think the cardio, uh, I, I would give the slight edge to Wilson Hayes, honestly. I think that he can grapple for three rounds comfortably. Uh, while I don't know if Pantoja has the style to or the gas tank to. I think he gassed out. Um, no, I wouldn't say he gassed out. I, he did have a lot of gas left versus Marino. You know, he was, but that was the fight he was winning. He had a lot of momentum in that fight. He was having his way with Marino. He was out striking him. He was dropping Marino. In a fight like Dustin Ortiz, when he was struggling, when he was fighting per, for position, when you know Ortiz was doing a great job defending, Pantoja did not have much uh, gas left in the tank at the end of the third round, and that's what lost in that fight. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how the exchanges, how the scrambles go if this fight goes later. Uh, but it, you know, if Pantoja is able to stuff the takedowns of Wilson Hayes uh, and keep this fight on the floor or on the feet, excuse me. I think Pantoja really has his way with Hayes. I think he picks him apart, and I think there's a great chance that Pantoja finishes Hayes with strikes, uh, just like um, Henry Cejudo did not too long ago. But, you know, when this fight, if this fight goes to the floor, if uh, Hayes is uh, successful with his takedowns, or if, if Pantoja decides to take this fight to the floor, uh, I, I just can't wait to see that happen. I really hope it does um, go up on the floor. I hope we get to see some scrambles. You know, like I said, these guys are just, you know, a pleasure to watch on the ground. I'm really looking forward to this fight. I'm going to side with Pantoja. I think he has the more pass to victory. I think he could win by, you know, knockout submission or decision while Hayes has, you know, uh, a, good, a good chance of winning a decision, a slight chance of winning a, uh, by submission, but almost no chance of winning by knockout. So uh, I'm going to give the, the, the edge to Pantoja, and I think he gets this one done. Uh, I'm going to go with a second round TKO uh, in this one as well. So the pick's going to be Pantoja. Moving on to the main event of the prelims, we have... In the lightweight division, Jalen Turner, who is eight and four, taking on Matt Frivola, who is six one and one. The opening betting line for this one was Jalen Turner minus one sixty five to Frivola at plus one twenty five. Right now, we are seeing at five dimes. Turner minus one twenty five, Frivola minus or excuse me, plus one oh five. So, uh, more action coming in on Frivola's way. Although there is two way action on this fight, it's a it's a really close matchup. And I can see why uh, the line is a little bit closer than it is where it opened at. Uh, I think that um, I think that Jalen Turner it has the the more technical striking. Um, I'd say by a, a good margin, honestly. He's got a really nice straight left hand. He's got some good knees, but um, you know his defense is not that good, and his finishing ability I don't think is that good either. You know now he did knock out Callum Potter in his last fight fairly easily, but Potter is a you know low level opponent. And, um, you know, if you look at uh, Turner's fight against uh, Max Moustakis in the Tuesday Night Contender Series, he had trouble finishing. You know, he had Moustakis out on his feet, but just couldn't pick the shots, couldn't land that one power shot to put him away. And then the fight was eventually stopped in between rounds. So, Turner has to, you know, he's going to have to pick his shots effectively, and he's going to have to, you know, 
try to get Frivola out of there early because Frivola is a beast, man. He's a you know a dead man walking. He he'll he loves to brawl, man. He loves to get wild in there from the start of the fight. You know, you saw in his fight against Polo Reyes, he he was trying to brawl in that one. He got knocked out in that one. And then he uh, turned that Venado fight into a brawl too, where he made, uh, you know, turn that no back and forth type of fight, and that fight ended up ending via draw. So Frivola is, uh, you know, he's definitely got some good good tools on the feet as well. He's got a real nice left kick. He's got some good boxing of his own. He he throws a lot of punches too. He from from bell to bell, he can throw hard. Uh, he can he can he can grapple. He can you know he's got seems like he has a good wrestling base. He doesn't seem easy to take down. He seems like he could hit an offensive takedown too if he wants to. So, you know I uh, I think I don't remember which fight had me thinking this, but I think I know that Jalen Turner has a weakness on the ground. It was maybe maybe one of his uh, his earlier regional fights. I just remember uh, you know thinking that Callum Potter had a legitimate chance to make this fight um, interesting if the fight ends up on the floor. Um, you know, obviously he didn't, um, you know, he, the fight was on the floor for a a few seconds, but, um, Turner was able to knock him out quickly after that. So, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, Turner's best chances of winning this fight are via round one knockout. And, uh, you know, Frivola is not, he doesn't have a bad chin, you know, he gets hit a lot. That's his problem. He has bad defense, but his chin is solid. You know, he ate, he ate hard shots from Lana Venata and kept marching forward. So, if Turner is able to hurt Frivola with a, a punch and, you know, not not get him out of there in round one, I, this is going to be a, a live bet situation for Steamrola Frivola all day. I think that Turner, uh, you know, will have a little bit of a cardio drop off. And I think that Frivola just gets us stronger as the fight goes on. Um, you know, there's evidence of that in the Venado fight. He lost the first round and he came back. And I don't even remember how that fight was a draw. Like, I don't know which rounds were 10-8 and which weren't, but... You know, there was a, it was a really, really close back and forth fight, and I see why the draw was warranted. Um, so, you know, Frivola is gonna have if he fights smart, and if he doesn't get, you know, get into a brawl in this one, uh, maybe looks to grapple. I think he has a great chance of beating Jalen uh, Turner. But his style is is wild, man. He likes to brawl. He wants to he wants to go out there and put a uh, show on for the fans. And I think I think if he does that in this fight, there's a good chance that uh, Jalen Turner hits him with some uh, some nice punches and gets him out of there in round one. But so the I slightly side with Jalen Turner in this one. I think that his technical striking and the power he's got is going to be a little too much for 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 Frivola. But like I said, if this fight gets out of the first round, you know, look for good odds on Frivola. Uh, to you know, uh, take over this fight. Uh, so the pick is going to be Turner, but uh, you know, be wary of this one. Moving on to the main card, we have starting things off in the light heavyweight division. We have Nikita Krylov, who is twenty-five and six, taking on Ovin Saint Pru, who is twenty-three and twelve. The opening betting line for this one was Ovin Saint Pru as the minus one fifty-five favorite to Nikita Krylov. At plus 115. Right now, the line has since flipped. We now see Krylov at minus 120 to Ovin St. Pru at plus 100. Man, this line has been going all over the place. You know, they've both of these guys have been the favorite and the underdog multiple times. So there's a lot of action coming in on this this fight from from both sides. And uh, I see why. You know, it's it's a close fight. These guys have fought before, way back in 2014, and OSP made real quick work of Nikita Krylov in that fight, you know, but 
you go back and watch that fight and Krilov it just looks so much different he looks uncomfortable he doesn't have good footwork he doesn't seem you know right now you watch him fight and he, he seems composed it seems like he you know he wants to strike he, he's you know very balanced he throws with power none of that none of that was uh, in the first fight so this this matchup will be entirely different uh, although I think that the the game the path of victory for OSP is still the same, I still think his path to victory is to take uh, Krylov down and uh, tap him out. You know, Krylov his most of his losses have come by via way of submission, and his most recent losses come by way of submission to Jan Blahovich. Um, Blahovich has you know got great jujitsu, but not really known as as you know a, a jujitsu specialist by any means. But he still had his way with Krylov. Krylov stupidly took the fight to the ground with Blahovich. he kept top position for a minute or two and then he got swept and then he was on bottom and then uh, that's when uh, Blahovich was able to do damage was able to take his back and was able to choke him out in that fight so uh after all these years even though Krilov has improved very uh very much so he's you know he's gone i think like nine and two since they first fought while osp has gone like nine and eight so uh Krilov is you know definitely uh seemed to you know record wise has improved more and you know skill wise too of course you know there's no doubt about it Krilov is the much more improved fighter he's the more athletic fighter at this point i think osp is the declining fighter you know he's he's looking slower on the feet in every fight he's looking you know less and less tenacious in every fight it seems like he has to get punched a couple times for him to wake up that was certainly the case against tyson pedro he had to eat a, a shin to the head and a, a straight right to the jaw before he realized he was in a fight and then he eventually still had his whips about him and then was able to submit tyson pedro in that one so you know he better he better have his cl- coach slap him a few times before he gets in the cage at this one because kirlov's got good head kicks man he's got powerful hands you know he, he absolutely floored Fabio Maldonado, a, a guy with a notoriously good chin. Krilov put him out with one shot uh, and put him out bad, too. So, uh, you know, look for Krilov to be dangerous in this one. I think that this fight stays on the feet. I think Krilov has a chance at knocking out OSP. You know, OSP is getting chinnier and chinnier. You saw that in the last fight against Don Reyes. He was hurt repetitively in that fight and pretty much knocked out in the last second of that fight. And the dude just, you know, he's been fighting forever, man. He's got, he's got you know, almost, he's got, what, 35 fights, you know. He's taken a lot of damage in the past couple of fights. He's gotten, you know, uh, he's got rocked versus Latifi. Um, you know, he got knocked out by Manawa. Uh, and then, most, like I said, most recently knocked out by Dominic Reyes, too. So, um, I definitely think that Krelov has the better chance of winning this fight. Uh, I think that his, his ground game has improved a bit you know and not not fully to the point where i'm comfortable on you know betting on him i just don't think that i don't think there's much value where his line is right now maybe if you got it at you know plus money somewhere around there uh, i think that there was a good value on that but him as a favorite man i have no interest in betting him as a favorite at this point i just think that there's there's too much of a hole in his ground game and osp submissions are just too good to uh, be confident uh, in Krilov to bet in this one. Um, so, yeah, and another point is, you saw in Krilov's last fight against Jan Blahovich, Jan goes for a takedown and Krilov goes for that guillotine um, without control of the the body and, you know, was almost in a, the same position as when he got Von Flew to buy OSP in their first fight. So, 
it that fight was a couple months ago and he still hadn't totally patched up those holes in his grappling so i i honestly think that the osp has a good chance of submitting him in this one i think that krilov has a good chance of knocking him out so really a 50 50 type of fight you know um i'd say osp's best chance are uh, getting this one done in the first round if it you know goes to the second and third round i give uh, krilov the better chances of winning a decision or re- winning via late knockout i think osp's chances are, are are his only path to victory in this fight is via submission so with that being said i slightly slot side with krilov but not a confident pick at all Next fight in the welterweight division, we have Alan Joban, who is 16-6, taking on Dwight Grant, who is 9-2. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu, we see the opening betting line for this one. Joban, minus 155 to Grant at plus 115. Right now, we are seeing Joban, minus 120, Grant plus 100. So almost down to a pick odds in this one after Joban opened the moderate favorite. I, uh, I agree with the line movement in this one. I think it should be a pick em. I don't think Joban deserves to be minus 150 in this spot. You know, although I th- Joban should be the more technical striker in here, he should uh, have more output. Uh, he should have the more diverse striking attack while, you know, mixing up with kicks and punches. You know, it's just hard to hard to trust Joban at this point in his career. He's, he's very chinny, you know. He gets rocked in, like, every single one of his fights. And, uh, you know, his defense is not that good for, you know, being mostly a striker. Uh, you know, and his problem is is getting countered off his kicks. You know, most of the times he gets rocked or gets dropped or knocked out is when he's throwing a leg kick and he keeps his hands lowery or, you know, so forth like that. Or, you know, he gets a kick uh, caught and then he gets put on his back. So, you know, I think Joe Ban should have the the better grappling in this fight. I, although I don't th- expect the fight to go there, I, f- I expect it to be contested uh, almost entirely on the feet. And you know, uh, Dwight Grant, man, what a what a weird fighter. He's had uh, such a weird start to his career in the UFC so far. He had that really low output decision against Zach Otto. Even though it was super low output, I, I really think that Dwight Grant won that fight easily. I don't think Otto did anything in that fight to warrant a decision for him, but. Grant really lost that fight for himself. He was just too output, too tentative in his UFC debut. And, uh, you know, really needed to show more aggression. And he definitely did show more aggression in his fight with uh, Pedrozoli. Uh, you know, he was still looking to counterpunch, you know, but he was looking to draw that counter out a little more. You know, the fight with Otto, he was, you know, just waiting, 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 and just waiting for that punch to, uh, to counter. But in the Pedrozoli fight, he would initiate, a, 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 a you know, an exchange. Then he'd wait for the... the counter and then he throw the counter you know so he he, he drew the uh the activity out of pedrozoli a little more so definitely showed that he learned a little bit from his uh his first uh ufc loss to auto and uh you know it's going to be uh this fight's going to be really interesting because i expect joe ban to be the more active type of fighter but that that goes into grant's type of game plan i think that he wants guys to throw a lot of strikes at him he wants to you know see a lot of punches and throw uh, see a lot of kicks because they open up opportunities for counters he is pretty much a counter boxer you know a counter puncher uh you know you saw that in the pedrozoli fight man he was just waiting the entire time and then the second pedrozoli went for that you know i don't even know what it was uh, a flying knee or something like that grant just absolutely floored him with uh, a punch that just sent pedrozoli down to the canvas so uh, you know, but up until that fight, though, up until that point in the fight, Grant still looked a little, a little low output. It still looked like he, uh, 
you know, she could have been a little more aggressive. But regardless, he still got the, the knockout in that one. So I think the more technical and the more well-rounded martial artist in this one would have to be Alan Joban. I think, I don't know what, what uh, his jiu-jitsu credentials are, although I know he does train at 10th Planet, and um, he definitely has some, some good uh, submission and wrestling base to him. But we haven't really seen much from Dwight Grant in the, in the grappling realm of things he does train at uh aka though so i'm sure his uh his, his wrestling is up to par uh, but i don't think we'll see much striking in this one i think that it will be contested mostly on the feet and uh you know it, it really comes down to uh joe Bannon's chin in this one honestly i think that it depends it, uh, it depends if Dwight Grant's going to connect with a few punches on Joe Ban, but if Joe Ban is you know rolling away from the punches and not taking them straight on, I think that he has a good chance at uh, winning this fight by being the more active and accurate striker in this one. I think that you know Dwight Grant's uh, his lack of aggression you know can can be a, a detriment to him at, at sometimes, and that's why he lost the Grant fight. So. If he comes out here aggressive and looks to you know uh, test that chin to Joe Ban early, I really like his chances. But at, if this fight goes to the scorecards, uh, I favor Joe Ban. If it goes to the ground, I, f I favor Joe Ban. And uh, you know I, I just think uh, that Joe Ban overall should should win this fight. Although I'm going back and forth on it, I can easily see Dwight Grant you know rocking Joe Ban and putting him away like so many other people have. Uh, Joe Ban is just so chinny um, that you know Dwight Grant has a real good shot at testing that chin and getting him out of there. But I think that Joe Ban also has a great chance at being the more technical striker. Uh, you know, be fighting smart, fighting on the outside at kicking range, and uh, looking to keep keep uh, Dwight Grant at bay, not let him get that counter punch in and uh, win this fight on the scorecard. So I'm gonna slide with Alan Joe Ban, but it's a real close type of fight. The next fight takes place in the light heavyweight division. We have Eric Anders, who is 11-3, taking on Khalil Roundtree, who is 7-3. The opening betting line for this one was Anders, the minus 165 favorite, to Roundtree at plus 125. Right now, we are seeing around 5dimes.u. Anders, the minus 190 favorite to Roundtree at plus 165. So two-way action coming in on this fight with a little more on uh, Anders' way. It's a, it's interesting, man. Both of these guys are, you know, you don't... I feel like... I watched, you know, uh, a good amount of their fights in the past couple of days. I just still feel like I don't have that great of a feel of, you know, what their strengths and what their weaknesses are. Um, but I'll give you my best idea to sum it up. You know, uh, Anders... Um, We'll start with Anders. He's uh he's game as fuck, you know. He he always shows up to fight. Um, he's you know not scared of a challenge. He's moving up and waiting this one. He did fight a two hundred five before uh, that short notice fight against um, Maheta, uh, and you know he did good in that fight. You know for for moving up a weight class twenty pounds up for taking a fight on short notice, a week's notice for flying down to Brazil, the country where Santos is from, and then just fight a, an absolute killer like. Uh, Thiago Manjeta Santos, I think that Anders performed well in that fight and exceeded almost everybody's expectations, except for the people who bet on him, of course. But, uh, you know, um, uh, I was impressed with Anders in that fight. You know, the same thing with uh, Machida, man. The dude was like 7-1 and one or something like that, fighting Machida in Brazil. Is that right? Uh, no, he was 10-0. and 0, Or no, yeah, 10-0, excuse me. 10-0, um, flies down to Brazil, Fights in that hard-fought split decision. You know, I thought he won the fight, but, you know, Machida won the, the scorecards in Brazil. No surprise there. 
Um, he bounced back with that nice head kick win over Tim Williams. And uh, he unfortunately lost his most recent fight to uh, Elias Theodoro via split decision. Uh, that fight was uh, was interesting, you know. You know, Theodoro has is just has such a weird style, uh, completely, completely different from from Khalil Roundtree. Um, and uh, Andrews just struggled with uh, Theodoro's movement. He, you know, Theodoro was the had the better gas tank in that fight. He was able to win round one and three with Andrews having a lot of success in rounds two though. Anders was able to land that left hand a couple times and really hurt uh, Elias Theodoro in round two and almost got him out of there, but he lacked a little bit of finishing ability, lacked a bit of composure and footwork, and, uh, you know, it's just, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable saying that Anders is a good fighter. It just doesn't seem like he has one area that he specializes in. He can hit takedowns. He can grapple a good bit. He's got some good boxing. Uh, you know, one thing I will say about him is his defense is really good. You know, he's fought some heavy hitters so far, and he his chin has has um, stayed strong. So uh, I, I uh, that's going to be a, a good uh, good thing he's got going for him in this fight against Roundtree because. I think Roundtree's biggest threat is, you know, that left hand. You know, ask uh, Gokan Saki about that. Um, but other than that, man, Roundtree is, is he's lacking a little bit. You know, in the clinch, he doesn't seem like he knows what's going on too much. You know, that, that Johnny Walker fight, you know, it just seemed like Walker, you know, it didn't, it seemed like he didn't know what was coming. You know, Walker just hit him with some absolutely brutal knees and elbows and knocked him out really quickly. Um and uh, Roundtree's cardio is bad. You know, he he has a steep cardio drop-off. After round one, he's pretty much done. He gassed out in round two versus um, uh, Michel Olechechuk. And then in round three, he was just a, a corpse. You know, got taken down and held down. Couldn't move the entire round and lost that fight in the scorecards. So, Roundtree is, uh, you know, dangerous in round one. I think that he has a good chance of sparking Anders in round one with that left hand if he, you know, blitzes Anders and if Anders wants to engage in a firefight, which he's been saying uh, to the media this week, yeah, I want to, yeah, stand toe-to-toe and uh, brawl in this one, which is a really dumb game plan. You know, if he fights on the outside, if he mixes up a takedown, if he takes his fight to the later rounds, then he has an, an excellent chance at beating Ra- Clear Roundtree. You know, I think Roundtree's best path to victory would be the round one knockout. And if Anders goes out there swinging and trading punches in the first round, he's giving Roundtree his the the best chance he has to win that fight. So um, it'll be a uh, it'll be a live betting type of situation, I'd say. If and if Anders is able to get a takedown, uh, you know, he should win this fight. Uh, you know, I'm not saying he would choke him out. I I just think that one takedown is all it would take to uh, to gas Khalil out. Uh, to get him panicking from the bottom to, you know, secure round one and then to break him and then he'd eventually, you know, gas out in rounds two and three and lose the decision. So I'm, I'd, I'd definitely be looking for it to live at Anders if he has a wrestling game plan, but I just don't think you can bet him as a favorite uh, with him saying that he's going to go out there and brawl. You know, he could be just saying sh- that shit to confuse Roundtree, but he could be for real too. So with that being said, uh, with the money lines are at right now, which is uh, Anders minus 190, Roundtree 165, the, the value is on Roundtree at the dog money. I could not trust Anders at that much of a favorite. I mean, like maybe maybe if after I see him uh, wrestle a little bit, I'll live bet him. But just knowing that there's a possibility that he could go out there and fight stupid and get in a brawl with Roundtree and get sparked is enough for me to stay away from that minus 190 money line. So the pick is going to be Anders, but um, be weary of uh, betting that money line.
and there might even be value on uh, Roundtree if you want to take a shot. In the co-main event of the evening, we have for the interim middleweight UFC title with Kelvin Gastelum, who is 16-3, taking on Israel Adesanya, who is 16-0. The opening betting line for this one was Izzy as the minus 220 favorite Gastelum at plus 185. Right now, we are seeing Izzy minus 170, Gastelum plus 150. So, Surprising little, surprising little, little more action coming in on Kelvin Gastelum's way in this one. Um, you know, uh, since making his debut about uh, fourteen to fifteen months ago, Israel Adesanya has fought six times. This will be a sixth time, definitely uh, the most active UFC fighter in the past you know year. Or so I've probably, I've that means I've talked about his fights the most out of anybody. Uh, on the Martian MMA podcast, and you know, uh, I wasn't sold on him for the first couple of fights. The first two fights against Vittori and against Wilkinson, he got taken down in those fights. He lost a little bit before he came back and won those fights. But the fight, the fight that sold me on him was the Derek Brunson fight. Um, was that was that the most recent? In the, actually, no, I take that back. The fight that sold me on him was the the brad tavares fight you know he fought brad tavares a very well-rounded guy with a ton of experience been in there with some of the best middleweights in the world um you know people thought that he was going to create problems with for for izzy in the clinch he was going to take him down you know and it would be a dog fight but in the small cage israel desanian just completely controlled that fight you know Allegedly, Brad Tavares was uh, injured going into that matchup, and you know it made sense. He fought like dog shit in that fight. But regardless, man, a guy trying to take you down for for 25 minutes inside a small cage, even if he has a broken fight, it's not easy to stop. And um, you know, so that that win sold me on him. But the win that was you know skyrocketed him into the championship caliber, which people aren't giving him enough credit for, is that Derek Brunson fight, man. You know. Derek Brunson is a he's got real legit wrestling accolades and he's you know a powerful striker as well. He's uh he's knocked out some good guys. He's for sure got power in his hands and he's ultra ultra aggressive. And even though uh you know Israel was the much better striker in that fight, you know if a dude's blitzing at you like like Brunson was in that fight, it's it's no walk in the park. It's it's difficult to get him out of there. It's difficult to stop those takedowns. And Adi Sanya did so in a masterful way. Uh, using those knees, um, you know, stuffing those shots, and eventually finishing uh, Derek Brunson in that in the first round of that fight. So, um, right away, I'm just gonna say that I, I'm picking Adi Sanya to win in this one. Uh, I think that he's, you know, the, probably the most technical striker in the UFC right now. I think he's got the best distance management. He's got the, you know, the fastest kicks. Um, you know, he's got incredible punches, you know, wicked fast jabs, got a nice uh, uh, right hand to go behind it as well. He throws head kicks, you know, those spinning kicks, and his, his takedown defense is great. It's ever improving every fight, and uh, I think that uh, this fight will be mostly contested on the feet. And I expect Adesanya just to, to completely control the fight on the feet there. Um, you know, Gastelum is a you know a great boxer of his own. He has knocked down every opponent and he's fought at middleweight, but he hasn't fought anybody nearly as skilled in the striking as Israel Adesanya you know he's knocked down Chris Weidman he knocked down Jacques Ray and knocked out Bisping knocked out uh Vitor knocked out Kennedy you know those are all great wins you know but but those the they're just not high level strikers um you know especially not high level strikers on Israel Adesanya's level 
and uh, you know, so Kelvin's got that that powerful left hand, man. He he floors people with that left hand. He sent Chris Weidman flying through the air after he hit that left hand. But you know, how is he gonna land that left hand on a guy who's got better striking, better distance control, got a couple inches of height, maybe three or four inches of height, six or seven inches of reach, and it's just you know, it's just a masterful, uh, you know, a masterful master of distance. Uh, you know, just a gifted kickboxer, like I said before, one of the, uh, I think, the best striker in the UFC at this point. And um, where the, where this fight is is interesting is if Kelvin DeGaslam decides to grapple in this one. Kelvin does have a, you know, a good grappling pedigree. He's, I think, a purple or brown belt under uh, 10th Planet. He's got definitely got some submission games of his own. Uh, he, he can hit some takedowns. He's got good wrestling base. Um, so the fight to, to, to think about Kelvin Gaslam with this one to compare it to, I'd still would be the Neil Magny fight. That was another five round fight against a, a tall, long type of guy who, uh, who had good striking, got good long punches, good kicks in, uh, Neil Magny. But, um, you know, that fight had a lot of grappling in it, which with this fight, uh, the, the grappling initiated by Magny, you know, Magny took Gaslam down. He, you know, was able to get a uh, mount on Gaslam, was able to go for some submissions on Gaslam. Israel's not going to do any of that. And even after all that grappling, Gaslam's cardio looked good, man. He dropped Magni in the fourth round twice. He run, won rounds four and five. And that fight was at New Mexico City altitude, that 8,000, 10,000 feet altitude. So the, probably one of the hardest fighting environments to fight in the world. And Gaslam put on you know, a great cardio performance in that fight. And that fight was at welterweight. He is now a middleweight. The story has changed. That fight was a couple years ago. He, uh, you know, he, he has since you know, changed a lot as a fighter. Um, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see if Gaslam uh, grapples in this fight. I think that his best path to victory would be the grappling. You know, I think that Adesanya is just going to be a step ahead of him on the feet, no matter no matter where the fight goes uh, on the feet. You know, I think that um, Gaslam will just be a step behind. I think that Adesanya will be moving uh, out of his strikes. You know, the, Adesanya's defense isn't perfect. You know, he did get caught with a couple good punches by. Um, uh, Anderson Silva in their fight, he got counterpunched a few times, but uh, I have a feeling that that Adi Sanya will be the one counterpunching in this fight. I think that he's gonna wait for Gaslam and try to close the distance, and then just you know be evasive, move away from Gaslam, and then land those hard shots while he's moving backwards. Now he's gonna have to put on a great, uh, almost a perfect performance to uh, to win a decision versus Gaslam because Gaslam can hurt you with just one punch. It's all it takes. That left hand. He's even got power in his right hand too, and that 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 uh, right hook left left hand combo that he throws will spark spark you like uh, a joint, just like it did uh, Michael Bisping. Uh, you know, pretty much ended Michael Bisping's career that one two combination from Kelvin Gastelum. Same thing with Vitor Belfort, man. Just put him in a coffin with that that combo. So. You know, Gaslam's dangerous, man. He, you gotta be, you gotta be careful for that left hand. He, if Adesanya is using the tall man's defense, if he's not giving Gaslam the respect he deserves, Adesanya can certainly get caught with a punch and maybe get put away in this one. I don't, I don't see it happening though. I really, I really see uh, Adesanya's. You know, if this fight was a kickboxing match, I, you know, I think Adesanya would be minus eight or nine hundred. But the fact is, MMA, it's obviously it's way closer. You know, it's just whether Gaslam is going to grapple, you know? 
it's going to be hard for him to close that distance to get a takedown because Adesanya can throw those knees. His takedown defense is so good. His distance control is so good. It's going to be a really hard hard night for Calvin Gastelum, honestly. And I think that Adesanya will get his hand raised. I think that he will win this fight via five-round decision. You know, slight chance he maybe finishes Kelvin rounds three, four, five, something like that, but I don't think so. I think that Adesanya is more of a volume type of guy. He wants to fight smart. He he's gonna respect Gastelum, respect his power. He's not gonna look to uh, engage too much and look to put uh, Gastelum out of there. I think that he'll fight real smart over five rounds, and he will become the interim middleweight champion, setting up that massive title fight between uh, New Zealand versus Australia or something like that. I don't even know. One of these guys is Australian. One of these is New Zealand. I'm talking about the champion, Robert Whitaker. So uh, the pick is going to be Adesanya to get this one done. And we have arrived at the main event of the evening. For the interim lightweight championship, we got Max Blessed Holloway, who is 20-3, taking on Dustin the Diamond Poirier, who is 24-5. The opening betting line for this one was Max Holloway as the minus 230 favorite to Dustin Poirier at plus 170. Right now, we are seeing over on 5dimes.eu, Max Holloway minus 210 to Poirier at plus 175. There is two-way action coming in on this fight, but uh, definitely in the favor of Max Holloway. We saw uh, Poirier actually go as high as, I think, plus 220 or 240. Yeah, 240 at one point. That's just insane. Uh, you know, that was a, a few weeks, uh, maybe even months ago. As this fight crept closer, you know, more money coming in on Poirier's way. And rightfully so, you know. Um, I'll start things off with just saying that I, I cannot bet Max Holloway as a favorite at a weight class that he has never fought at. Um, you know, Dustin Poirier is a well-established lightweight. He's, you know, he fits the frame of the weight class. I think Max Holloway does too. I think that he has been, you know, really depleting himself to get to 145. But he's also the best featherweight of all time at 145. So, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe that that weight cutting was, was good for him. You know, maybe that was his optimal body weight at 145 pounds we have no idea how he's gonna fight at 155 pounds and you know you're you're talking about a guy in dustin poirier who has fought you know what 10 times at lightweight he's knocked out world champion after world champion after world champion you know anthony pettis T you know he didn't you know tko via injury still um that's a, that's a finish um justin gaethje former world series of fighting champion knocked him out eddie alvarez knocked him out former ufc champion he actually knocked out, um, you know, I was going to say knocked out Eddie Alvarez twice, but, you know, that one fight was, you know, a little iffy. Knocked out Bobby Green, um, went to war with Joe Duffy, went to war with Jim Miller. The only setback he's had at lightweight was uh, getting sparked by Michael Johnson back in 2013, which is, or excuse me, 2016, which is, you know, I think like an outlier performance, honestly, when we look at the two careers of this guy, these guys. Um, you know, it was a great punch set up by Johnson and everything like that. But I think that if they run that fight back, you know, uh, Poirier wins that fight maybe seven or eight times out of ten. But Johnson did get him that night. It was, you know, a beautiful punch, and he he uh, he knocked out D uh, Dustin Poirier in that fight. But um, 
you know, getting back to the matchup and these guys, you know, just what a what an absolute in incredible fight. Um, you know, these two gentlemen have fought before, you know, back when they were young boys, especially Holly, man. Holly was 4-0, 21 years old, coming into the UFC on his UFC debut on short notice. And he takes on uh, the, the already battle-tested Dustin the Diamond Poirier. Um, you know, at the time, Poirier was, uh, you know, let's see, he was 11-1. He was 3-0 in the UFC. He fought in the WEC. You know, he, he was well-tested against uh, high-level competition. And Holloway comes in there, you know, baby-faced, 20, 21 years old. And, uh, you, know, still, uh, you know, put up a fight, but eventually did get uh, submitted in the first round of that fight. Poirier uh, took... It wasn't. I wouldn't say it was so much of a takedown. You know, it was. It was weird. I watched this exchange like a few times. I still don't know what really happened. It looked like Max threw a kick, and then Poirier took him down off the kick. Then uh, you know, Poirier just really controlled Max on the ground from the, from then on. He uh, was able to get an armbar, almost finished with the armbar, then transitioned to a triangle. Was able to get the mounted triangle position and then finished him with a you know a mounted armbar or a mounted triangle type of submission, nasty submission from uh, Dustin Poirier. Um, but you know the, both of these guys have just grown so so much since their past fights. You know Poirier moved up the weight class. He's really become his 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 boxing had become much more well rounded. He throws with a lot more power. His defense has gotten a lot better. And, uh, you know, you can you can even say more improvements about Max Holloway. The dude's, you know, like I said, he came into that fight 4-0, right? He lost that fight to Dustin Poirier. And since then, he's gone like, what, 16-2? and two? He He's had two setbacks, Dennis Bermudez, uh, Conor McGregor, both uh, uh, decision losses. And then, uh, you know, as you... As you as everyone is aware, the dude's on you know a 12-13 fight win streak against some of the highest level competition that you can get. Don't even have to read off the resume because you guys know it. You know he knocked out the the uh, the number two greatest featherweight of all time. You know you constantly that 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 battle of who's the better featherweight, Jose Aldo or Max Holloway. Well, they fought twice and Holloway knocked him out twice. So. Um, that's that's my reasoning for picking uh, Holloway as the greatest featherweight of all time, but it's a it's a close battle for sure. So uh, the, getting down to the matchup of this one, man, if uh, there's so much unknown because Holloway has never fought at this weight class, you know that's that's the biggest question going into this fight. Um, you know, I, I expect Holloway's chin to be better. I expect his you know hit him to feel better and everything like that at 55, but. The one concern comes in as that I think that um, his chin is iron at 45, right? He can get hit with bombs at 145, and they don't hurt him. We've almost never really seen Holloway rocked from punches. You know, Aldo hit him with some bombs, um, didn't phase him. You know, Ortega hit him with a few good shots, a real nice elbow to, like, the side of the head. You would have thought hurt him. Not, didn't phase Max Holloway one bit. His chin is absolutely iron at 145 pounds, and he knows it's iron. He knows that you can hit him with a, a shot or two, and he, it doesn't matter. He'll come back with four or five punches and make you pay. But that's kind of embedded into Max's style. You know, that was that's how the Ortega fight went. Ortega would land a shot, but Max would land five punches. But if 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 Max is comfortable getting hit, and he moves up that ten pounds in uh, in weight class, and he's facing that Dustin Poirier with that piston of a left hand, and he's you know comfortable getting hit, you know we don't know how Holloway's gonna react to the shots at one hundred and fifty five pounds. 
you know we've seen Poirier rocked before at 155 you know we've you know we've seen Gaethje hurt him we saw you know even Eddie Alvarez hurt him a few times in uh, both of their fights but you know he's never he's never been knocked out at 55 he uh actually excuse me he has by by um what I, Michael Johnson, as I mentioned earlier, he got knocked out by um, Conor McGregor. Uh, so you know, the, out of the chins, you know, you would think that Poirier's or, or the Holloway's is much better. But like I said, you just can't you can't rely on Holloway's chin being the same at 55. You know, uh, you um, MMA math would lead you to believe that his chin would be better, but. Will he be able to take a shot as well with that extra 10 pounds of weight class, with that extra muscle, with that extra power behind the punches at 55? That's what I'm really looking to see is if Holloway is comfortable, you know, marching forward, uh, you know, throwing four or five punch combinations while Poirier is countering with, uh, you know, that, that hard left hand. You know, Poirier's got great boxing of his own. I'd give the sl- the edge to boxing in Holloway. I'd give the output edge to Holloway. Although they both got great output, great cardio, great boxing. Um, you know, both of their defenses are very good. Um, you know, it's just these guys are so evenly matched. The one area of the of the fight where I think that uh, the guy has a clear edge would be Poirier's grappling, but. You know, we have, you know, Holloway's defensive grappling has gotten better and better. You know, uh, Ortega tried to take him down a couple times. Uh, Holloway was able to stuff the shots. He was able to get back to his feet. You know, we've seen, we've seen great, great grappling guys with great grappling pedigrees like Aldo and like Pettis and Lamas. And they, they haven't been able to get any grappling success against Max Holloway. So, you know, it, but when I think that if I have to ask myself truly, do I think the Poirier is going to grapple in this fight? I don't. I really don't. Even though that's how he won his first fight, I think that he is comfortable in his striking. I think that he wants to make this shit a war on the feet, and I think that he wants to prove that he can uh, that he can uh, get the better of Max Holloway on the feet. I think he wants to prove that he can outbox supposedly one of the best boxers in the UFC. And I think that he has a great chance of doing that. You know, I think that his, his Poirier's boxing is so good. He's he throws the power. He's got solid defense, solid cardio output. I think that, that there's a chance he does. You know, stun Max with a punch, maybe TKO Max, which would be insane to see Max Holloway finish for the first time um, since uh, with strikes for the first time. You know, uh, the only other guy, to, the, the only time Max has been finished in his career is by Dustin Poirier. So he could certainly do it again. Um, you know. What I'm hoping for in this fight is a five-round war, a back-and-forth war. You know, one guy wins one three-five, one guy wins round two and four, one rounds ten-eight, and it's a draw. You know, you know some type of shit like that. Uh, that would be you know a, a pleasure. I, I, I could see Poirier winning by knockout, maybe in the first, second, or third. I could see Holloway winning by knockout in the third, fourth, or fifth. I could see either guy winning a decision. I could see Poirier winning by submission. There, there's just so many different ways this fight could go. In terms of money lines, dog or pass all fucking day. Like I said, the first thing I said about this fight is the Max's chin. I've been saying this to people all the time. If this fight was at 45, Max should win this fight all day. Um, if Max had beaten a couple guys and uh, this was his third or fourth fight at lightweight, and we could see that he see his chin still holds up strong at 55, Max all day. But those those. Things are still unknown to us, and I, you cannot lay the chalk at minus 210 without those questions being answered. So, 
Gun to my head, who's winning this fight? It's Max Holloway. Max Bless Holloway is picking up that interim title. He's, uh, you know, becoming that champion in two different weight classes. But odds-wise, Poirier is the dog is the right side of the or is the right side of the equation in this one. Really, I'm just hoping for a good fight. I'm hoping for maybe some live betting opportunities. Um, you know, I'm hoping for just an all-out war, a classic. Um, and I just can't wait for this fight. So, like I said, gun to my head. I'm picking Max Holloway. If I'm betting on this fight, I'm betting Poirier. Um, and uh, that's going to do it for this uh, this uh, br- analysis and breakdown. You know, we break- broke down all 13 fights on the UFC 236 card. It goes down this weekend, 6.30 p.m. The prelim start main card at 10 p.m. as usual. Main event will get started, you know, or the title fights get started maybe 11.30, go on to possibly 1 a.m. Should be a hell of a card going down from Atlanta, Georgia this Saturday. And with that being said, we are just going to quickly recap the UFC Philadelphia card. And then we will get into talking about TJ Dillashaw's um, EPO suspension. Uh, honestly, I think that's... Uh, uh, the much more interesting news, but we recap all the fights here on Martian MMA, so we'll quickly breeze through the UFC Philadelphia card. Uh, as I mentioned on the podcast last or two weeks ago, I was in attendance for the card. It was a you know great card. I was very happy with the results. Had a great time. Enjoyed all the fights. And uh, Alex Perez started things off just completely outgrappled and outclassed Mark De La Rosa in this one. Marion Mraz surprising everybody, you know, picking up the, uh, the upset win against Sabina Mazzo in this one. Mazzo looked terrible, um, you know, looked like a hype job. Didn't you know uh, Mraz outstruck her, outgrappler. Really a well a good performance from Mraz in this one. Casey Kenny coming in with the impressive victory against Ray Borg. You know, a lot of people disagree with this decision. Uh, I did, I did not. I thought that um, Casey Kenny won the fight. Although Ray Borg had a couple big moments with those big slam takedowns, the suplexes or whatever. I don't think he did much for the grappling. I think Casey Kenny won the striking exchanges on the feet, and I gave the the, the scorecards to uh, two rounds to one for um, Casey Kenny in this one. Honestly, when I heard thirty twenty seven, I said, "Oh, it's Ray Borg." They gave it to Borg because of those fucking slams. Every time you picked them up, slammed them. Oh yeah, real exciting, right? I thought the judges were gonna give it to him, but they uh, they gave it to the right side in this one, Casey Kenny. Next fight, uh, a decision that I think they probably got wrong. Kevin Holland, uh, Gerald Michart. Um, Holland won first round, just took rounds two and three off. Just a really bad performance from Kevin Holland in this one. Looked like he barely tried at all. Uh, Kevin Kevin Aguilar putting on a great performance against Enrique Barzola. Just stuffing all the takedowns and winning this fight. Somehow it was two rounds to one. I think I gave all three to Aguilar, but I don't really remember that that vividly. Um, Desmond Green making quick work, TKO and Ross Pearson in that the first round of their fight. Ross Pearson retiring uh, since that fight has happened. Marina Rodriguez and Jess Aguilar had a real competitive fight. You know, Aguilar looked like she had Marina Rodriguez in a nasty armbar in the first round, but Marina was able to escape and then to take control of rounds two and three. Sadiq Youssef defeated Shaman Morais via decision. You know, real close fight in this one again. Back and forth, I think. Sadiq won round two, round one. Um, Shaman came back round one, two. And it looked like Shaman was on his way to winning round three. But then Sadiq dropped him in the la- the second half of uh, round three and was able to steal the, the, the judges' scorecards in this one. 
Paul Craig losing all fight to Kennedy Nechenko and was able to pull off another Paul Craig-esque uh, third-round submission after losing the whole fight in the 14th minute, just like he did against Ankalaev. An incredible comeback from Paul Craig. Michelle Watterson just outclassed Karolina Kovacavich in this one. Grappling, striking, clinch, just you know, really well-prepared in this one was Michelle Watterson. Really impressive victory from her. Josh Emmett knocked out Michael Johnson in this one with a punch in the third round. Again, Michael Johnson was on his way to winning a decision in this one pretty comfortably. And then Josh Emmett floors him with an overhand right, just knocking him stiff. An incredible knockout from uh, Josh Emmett in that one. Uh, Jack Hermanson took down David Branch and Armin Guillotine, the, the, the Henzo Gracie Jiu-Jitsu black belt in 49 seconds. Just a wicked impressive performance from Jack Hermanson in this one. And then Gaethje and Barbosa went to war in the main event. Although it was short-lived, only two and a half minutes, it was still great. You know, got to see some back-and-forth leg kick exchanges. But Gaethje, you know, had his number from the jump, was hurting Barbosa with punches, and then eventually put him away with that nasty right hook, dropping Barbosa like a sack of potatoes. Uh, just to conclude, you know, a great card, you know, uh, was a really, uh, probably my favorite card I've been to live and in person. And uh, with that being said, we're going to quickly uh, talk about um, the juiciest news of the week. Juiciest, uh, no pun intended. We got TJ Dillashaw revealed that a couple weeks ago was revealed that he failed a drug test. He relinquished his Bantamweight title, you know, indicating that he might be guilty for something. And then it was just released that he uh, tested positive for EPO. Um, don't know what it stands for, but it's, uh, you know, a performance enhancing drug that. Uh, increases your stamina, you know, is, uh, allows you to, you know, fight longer, cycle longer, you know, run longer, whatever your your, uh, your athletics of choices. So it's interesting, you know, it's uh, it seems to be taking the UFC world by storm. Um, I'm not, I'm not really too surprised. I'm not really too enthralled by it. The reasons why I think it's so. Um, shocking and it's so noteworthy for people is for a couple of reasons it's because it's not a tainted supplement this time it's not a you know it's not a pulsing issue it's not a uh, you know something that could have been in a, a a supplement or could have been in meat like club butanol it's it's a straight up you know a performance enhancing drug it's an antibiotic steroid or something like i don't even know not gonna pretend like I'm a, a complete expert on it, but it's a you know it's a steroid that there's no way that it got into your system unless you intentionally took it. Um, there are you know you can inject it, you can take it via or orally, topically. I hear there's all different types of ways to do it, but you know it's it's high level intricate stuff. It's not you know popping a pill or something like that. It's it's a, someone is who knows the ins and outs of doping, who's, you know, probably experienced with the stuff, uh, has a degree in, you know, strength and conditioning of some sort. They're facilitating it. They're, you know, making sure you're getting the right dose, making sure you're training correctly. And, uh, you know, he's, TJ Dillashaw has ranted and raved about having his, you know, his strength and conditioning coach, Sam Calvita, monitor his every move, monitor his levels, his, you know, his energy levels, his all this shit. Um, he talked about it for hours and hours on Joe Rogan's podcast in the past year about all of the intricate um, ways that Calvia tracks and monitors uh, TJ Dillashaw's um, phys physicality, his strength and conditioning, everything. And, you know, it just, it, you know, it kind of puts that, 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 that glaring spotlight on the fact that that guy was, was, was cycling him. 
Now, since then, that snake, Sam Calvita, has come out and kind of thrown TJ Dillashaw onto the bus saying that, you know, PEDs are wrong. I didn't know anything about it. Dude, you were monitoring his every single move every piece of food he put into his body you were telling him when to train you were telling him when to take days off you were tracking what time he went to bed and what time he woke up like you there is no doubt about it he knew he was doping he was probably facilitating the doping of him and then he goes out there and throws tj dillashaw onto the bus that's really disgusting for me honestly the dude should have kept his fucking mouth shut why do you why do you need to release a statement you know like People, you know, TJ and Dane Ludwig issues a statement on TJ Dill. Why, dude? Just, he popped. He took the suspension. He didn't, he didn't try to, you know, hire a lawyer. He didn't try to make his way around it. He owned up. He took the suspension. That's all there is to say it. But you, people feel the need to yell, oh, what's your what's your point of view? What's your perspective on all this? Uh, I just wanted to say that I had no idea TJ was using. Uh, like, what a joke. Um, that, guy's a, that guy's a rat. But, um, and then the other reason why it's so shocking is the EPO, like I said, is a, su- is a substance that gives you more cardio. It allows you to fight for longer. It allows you to... Um, you know, f- you know, uh, your your output to um, increase as the rounds go on, which is which is rare. A lot of guys start off with a high output and then they they gas out into a low output. It seemed like TJ started off slow and then got faster as the fight go- went on. And he, dude, I mean, he knocked out uh, D- Brow in the fourth and the fifth round. He knocked out Joe Soto in the fifth round. He knocked out, he had a lot of late finishes against guys. And, you know, people are wondering, well, did EPO affect that? You know, did did EPO give him that extra advantage to be able to finish guys late? You know, who knows? I don't think it's even worth speculating on. You know, it, it's it, it, none of his wins become less impressive because he took some substance. He still had to go out there against the number no, top five pound for pound guy Henan Burrell as a seven to one underdog, and he had to go dethrone Henan Burrell. And you know, I don't think EPO helped him win that fight. He he rocked him in the first round. He dropped him in the first round. He had Burrell beat from that point on. EPO doesn't help you in the first round, just like it didn't help him knock out Cody Garbrandt. Just like it didn't help him, you know, both of the times he knocked out Cody. Now, of course, you know, if you're taking EPO and you're doping your whole camp, you can obviously train harder, train for longer amounts of times, train faster. You know, you're going to be a, a, an enhanced athlete in that, that octagon. But as we said before on the podcast, man, these motherfuckers are fighting in a cage in their underwear in front of millions of people and they're getting paid for it. If you, and they're, they're, you know, they're taking, they're doing this therapy, they're doing acupuncture, they're getting massages, they're getting this, they're getting, you know, their diets, they're getting everything monitored, but they can't take a substance that's going to make them a better fighter, you know? Um, you know, we, we, we've gone over the USADA bullshit in this thread, in this podcast for the past year and a half. It's never going to stop. It's an, it's a corrupt organization. They're picking and choosing who they prosecute and who they let go. John Jones, they decided to let go. TJ Dillashaw, on the other hand, they didn't. They're prosecuting TJ. Um, you know, TJ is one of the best fighters in the world, and now he's sidelined for two years in the prime of his career because of some some doping uh, violation. You know, uh, let the dude fucking fight. He's one of the best fighters in the world. So what that he took a little little something to enhance his performance? You know, half the roster is still taking some something to enhance their performance. 
you know, it's it's just uh, honestly when I think about the whole scheme of things, I don't feel oh, I had him Brown would have never lost the title if he TJ wasn't on EPO. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, do I feel bad for Cody Garbrandt that he got knocked? No, not one bit, man. EPO did not knock out TJ or did not knock out Cody Garbrandt that fight. TJ Dillashaw did nothing about EPO knocked out TJ or knocked out Cody in that fight. So. The way I see things is we lost one of the best fighters in the in the game for two years because of some superficial drug test. You know, uh, anti-doping doesn't work. Anti-doping is corrupt. Anti-doping needs to be removed from the UFC. It doesn't work. It's a system that can be abused. You're abusing the fighters. You're harassing the fighters, knowing their locations at all times of day, testing them. You know multiple times a month showing up at their job their house at six in the morning showing up at their gym you know going in the bathroom with some weirdo you don't even know and pulling out your dick and pissing in a cup and getting some blood drawn it's the most bullshit ridiculous type of controlling thing i've ever heard uh you know I'm real upset that TJ uh, TJ popped. You know, uh, you know, I'm not upset with those. You know, I'm not upset with him. I'm not ashamed of him or anything. You, you got to do what you got to do. All these people who who are are criticizing TJ, who are saying you know t- uh, TJ's win should be uh, you know reversed, and he's a he's a sh- uh, pathetic fighter. He's ashamed of the sport, man. Let me know when you're fighting in a cage in your underwear in front of millions of people. And then let me know if you don't want to take a little something to enhance your performance as well. But with that being said, that's going to conclude things in the podcast. It's been episode 56. I hope everybody enjoys UFC 236 this weekend. I hope it's a great card. And we will be back next week before UFC Russia. And have a great weekend, everybody.